The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Bobby Marks, ESPN's front office insider, in the middle of a lot of a lot of news, a lot of action in the NBA. Bobby, let's let's start in Boston with the news yesterday of Danny Ainge's retirement. 18 years as the Celtics president of basketball operations, stepping down. And now Brad Stevens, uh, after eight years as head coach of the Celtics, moving up to take Ainge's job, run the front office, leave behind coaching for now, and, and hire a new coach. What was your initial reaction to not just Ainge leaving, but them not doing a search, not going out into the marketplace and seeing who they could get to run their organization? Uh, but just promoting Brad Stevens. Well, I think taking it with um, with Danny first, I, I wasn't surprised just because you know the grind of this business took its toll on him, and having been there, you know what, eighteen years, and um, coming off a year this year where um, a lot of um, turmoil, uh, a lot of um, you know with the COVID protocols, and I think he he mentioned that in his in his press conference, how the team played, um, you know, kind of below expectations here. I wasn't surprised that on that end, um, just because as I said, I think it took it. So I was surprised, um, on the Brad Stevens and just from, um, you already have, it's, you're basically taking a high level coach. So now you're going to have to go replace him and putting somebody who, um, you know, let's face it, doesn't have front office expertise um, in the role of of where where Danny is um, Danny is right now. And you know, it's funny when I when you digest it a little bit. Um, I think Brad's going to do a good job based on when you're in charge of a front office, you're basically the CEO, and you are going to hire or maybe keep. In, in the fact, you know, with Mike Zarin and Austin Ainge, people who have been there for a long time people that you've worked with here. And um, Brad has had an upfront view of, you know, every player over the last eight years from a scouting standpoint, and he's got a familiarity with, with players in the league. Does he need to learn the salary cap and how it works? No, he'll have people that, that will do that for him. Um, I think the hard part will be when he has to make a decision on, let's say a player like Marcus smart, who's on an, who'll be on an expiring contract, whether it be an extension or, um, if it's have to shake up the roster here, but, um, not surprised with Danny, um, definitely surprised based on, um, you know, taking somebody, a coach and putting it into, I mean, let's face it, you know, the, the running the Boston Celtics is up there with running the New York Yankees and running the Los Angeles Lakers. And I think they would have had their pick of mm -hmm. head of basketball operations, um, if they wanted to conduct a, um, you know, conduct the national search. Yeah. And listen, the, the GM slash president job has become more non-traditional in recent years. I mean, having your coach go to G president is like something like that's what it was like in the fifties and sixties, you would move up. Like that was back then it was just the executive job was built different. It's been less. So what we've seen in this area is more the dual the dual power role, which I think has gone by the wayside. Uh, Boston, I think, had its fill of it with Rick Pitino. Um, that role um, 
you know, you saw a few in recent years with Stan Van Gundy, Doc Rivers. None of them went very well. And so nobody really has an appetite to do that anymore. Uh, but we've seen, though, sort of these more non-traditional paths to becoming president of basketball operations or, or GM, you know, much of it from the agent world, Bob Myers and Golden State, Rob Polenka with the Lakers, Leon Rose, William Wesley with the Knicks. And, and certainly that's been, um, you know, a, a change in the dynamic. And so I, I don't think it's certainly unusual uh, in that respect, but I do think What'll be interesting to me is Brad Stevens is a very different person than Danny Ainge, very different background, very different. Um, I, I have a feeling he'll be, listen, he's a very analytical guy, and I think that works. So that's an important part of running a team. And the things that make you a really good coach don't necessarily make you a great GM and, and vice versa. They're two very different jobs. Certainly talent evaluation and leadership, those are part of it. But it, it's a very different view of things in those two roles. I, I, I think he can grow into it. He can grow into it fine. But but I as you said, Bobby, they could have gone out in in a search and really targeted almost anybody in the league, even people under contract in places, and there would have been great interest in it, but I think they did value having continuity from from Ainge to to Stevens, and I think the fact that he was ready to be done with coaching Bobby, that he clearly uh, it wasn't a thing where it was like a power grab where he wanted, hey, I want to be the coach and president. And I think Whit Grouseback said yesterday that they wouldn't have done that anyway. You know, I think the one other guy in the league who maybe someday you could see that role with is. Eric Spolstra, and, you know, he had told me a couple of years ago on the podcast that, you know, he does aspire to maybe someday replace Pat Riley running the team. Now, whether that would be as president coach or just president, who, who knows? And I think Pat Riley is just going to keep going on and on down there. I don't think he wants to uh, give that up anytime soon. But but yeah, I think for, for Stevens, it's going to be uh, – it's a big adjustment. And, you know, the things that I've heard and, and I think some others have heard is a, a little burned out with coaching, uh, ready to move on. <laughs> As you know, Bobby, like coaching, you do get an offseason coaching and, and you can put your phone away and you can you can spend time with your family fairly uninterrupted for some stretches of time. I don't think that ever happens with a GM president of basketball operations. You are on call. 12 months a year to a lot of different constituencies that you don't have to deal with as head coach that the GM president protects you from, whether it's agents who want to get, get on you about playing time or role or whatever. Now as the president, you are on the front lines of that, but whether it's your owner, you know, the, the good GMs and presidents can kind of keep the owner sometimes off of the coach. It's, uh, listen, you, you can go down the list, players and players' families, and th there's a million fires you're putting out in that job. You lived it. You know it, Bobby. And um, and I do think it, it you are tethered to that phone and to having to be connected with people. And I don't think there's even any, I, I just don't think there's any downtime. I mean, I talk to GMs every day and I never sense there's very many windows where 
they're not being pulled in a lot of different directions. And so I think that's going to be a new challenge for Brad Stevens. Well, and the other challenge is going to be it's 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 going to be fascinating as far as the the balancing act from um, going from coach to president and now hiring a coach. Um, when you have um, and not right now in the off season because I, as I always say this is kind of the honeymoon period, but what happens when the season starts and guys that you had relationships with the Jason Tatum and, and the Jalen Browns of the world and things are not going well with that new head coach who who are they going to go talk to is it going to be brad stevens or is it going to be um the the head coach that you just hired and how are you going to kind of separate um separate the two but yeah i mean going back to your point about um the difference between running a team and and you know being on the sidelines is that it is a 12-month um job it isn't just about um, you know, the in-season portion of it, but you know, they're going to be, now they're going into the draft workouts, right. Um, and the draft evaluation period where the, the head coach kind of has a little bit of a, a backseat to that. Um, not as involved as your, your main front office people. And then you go into figuring out how to fix this team and roster building and summer league. And it's a continual, um, it is a continual, um, grind, with uh with with that regard here but um his next you know his next move as you mentioned it's going to be finding that right head coach i mean that's going to be the big thing and we saw in we saw in miami the year when um when stan had gotten hired man gundy and pat had moved to the front office and then all of a sudden you know a couple years later things weren't working out as right or they couldn't get past an nba or eastern conference finals and then you had you know, you had Pat come back off um, out of the front office to, to the sidelines here. And um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but eventually you do um, the burnout that you have right now. You do kind of get that second life d- down the road. And, and maybe for Brad, that that isn't going to be that second life. Maybe this is what he foresees for the foreseeable future. I mean, listen, this is a league now where you're not going to see people like Danny Ainge in jobs for 18 years, and you're not going to see uh, coaches in jobs. Uh, listen, eight years is a long run with a team, especially a college coach coming into the NBA. Those are usually much shorter runs. This is a league of constant turnover. Rosters turnover all the time. Contracts are shorter. And even when you're under contract, if you want out, you just say, I want out, and you don't have to honor it. You you can just You'll just get moved. So I think anymore looking at trying to say we're hiring somebody for the next, I mean, hopefully hire somebody for five years. But the idea that we're going to have Brad Stevens is going to be here for 18 years like Danny Ainge is, it's too volatile now. And and I think Danny Ainge early in his career in the front office, when they really were struggling, you know, the fact that he played for the Celtics and he had a championship pedigree there, I think it bought you a little time. As a great ex-player, you, you can – in your where you're when you're working where you played it, it might buy you a little more time with a fan base. Those I think those days are largely over. So I think you've got to look at it. They have a window here, two two all-star players who are under 25 years old and Tatum and Brown, you know, they have a group to build off of, but they missed their window. They missed their window with all the picks and and having Kyrie Irving on the roster and Gordon Hayward and and Al Horford a few years ago, they had a window to try to win a championship. I think they're very, they can still be a very good team. Um, But listen, we'll see. Can Brooklyn keep that roster together? Does Philly, 
um, Milwaukee, uh, those teams, I think certainly this year, Brooklyn's head and shoulders above. Um, but I think a healthy Boston team with some tune-ups to the roster is very good. But but I'm not sure that the, and that championship window is still uh, there for them. But listen, I think it still would be a coveted job if you opened it up uh, to the league. So um, there, there are issues with this roster going forward, Bobby. I think, you know, the Kemba Walker contract – and his knees and his availability and nobody works harder to try to be on the court. No one's more determined to play and, and play with pain than Kemba Walker is, but they're in a tough spot with that contract. If he's just not going to be available and if he's still struggling uh, with that knee um, he's been in trade talks in the last year. I mean, he's been, they've been willing to move him. And I think teams know, you know, if Boston's going to move Kemba Walker. They know something's, you know, it, it was at the beginning of some of the issues with the we were seeing with the knee. I think they're going to have to figure it out with him. And I think that's going to be a challenge kind of right, like right smack dab in the middle of that roster for them. Yeah. I mean, how, um, you know, how they built the roster. Um, and, I, and I wrote about it in their offseason article, the development of, of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown did not fit the how they built the roster. They be, Those players outseeded um, their rookie contracts and developed into all NBA all-star type players. And then when you build out the back end of the roster, basically through the draft and compound it with losing Al Horford for nothing, Gordon Hayward for nothing, um, basically Kyrie for nothing. Um, Terry Ro- you know, Terry Rozier goes to, um, you know, Charlotte. And then when you, you sign Kemba, when, when Kemba was signed back in, um, you know, 2000, I think 2019, like, he was coming off years in Charlotte where like he didn't miss games. Yeah. Like he was the most, you know, you go through his, his his stat line, it's like it's 80 games, it's 82 games, it's 81. Like he did not miss games at all. And when um when when he signed the you know the four-year $140 million contract, like the last thing you thought was like, well, here it's going to be a dead, you know, kind of a dead weight contract years three and four because of his injury history. And that's gonna be as you mentioned, that's going to be the big the big thing is figuring out is there going to be a taker out there, and, and if so, what else do you have to include? Um, because they've got one hundred and thirty million dollars in contract. You know, the, when the Tatum extension um, kicks in, it could even be a little bit more if he makes All NBA, as we've we've talked about here. Um, you've got to figure out what you're going to do with Marcus Smart, and then how far along can your young players? develop i think we saw a lot of good things with robert williams right like there you know that game one against brooklyn you know that's that was a an epic level performance but now it's like you know he's going into an extension year he might he's going to probably cost you um you know money um the romeo langford aaron naismith peyton pritchard guys like that all grant williams all nice players um but can they take that another step where they go from developmental guys to key rotational pieces? Um, and they are going to be, you know, as I said, they're, they're going to be limited as far as how they can kind of build outside of um, outside of the roster, barring, barring a trade. You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, 
thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Bobby, the series that are still alive here, and I think the, the two L.A. teams on the brink right now. Uh, let's start with uh, the Clippers, who lost Game 5 at home to the Mavs last night. This is an unbelievable series. I mean, the, the road team, we're headed into Game 6. The home team hasn't won yet. Uh, but Dallas is now one home win away uh, from winning that series. Um, the Clippers don't find a way to win this series. What, what do you think it means for them? Well, I, I mean, well, I've already written their off-season article. <laughs> and that's just the nature of the beast as far as how we do it. And, of course, if they get through, the, we'll, we'll, I'll change it around. And I, I think the big thing for me is, it, you know, we all know Kawhi's got a, a, a player option in his contract. I mean, that's, that's – it's basically and – it, and it was, a, it was a business decision. You know, when Kawhi Leonard did his contract back in 2019, it was a business decision because um, the third year, which which is going to be this offseason, gets him to 10 years of service, right? Like it just – it's the cap – he can get a, a bigger amount in salary because of the salary cap here. Like, So the big question is, is that, is that business decision now turn into a basketball decision? I, I don't think so because I think – Kawhi is at a point in his in his career where, like, th- you know, him and Paul George, are, this is like their last stop. I would think this is where they wanted to be. This is their home, going to play in southern, um, going to play in southern California. But um, it's it's interesting because you have built it around your two main guys, um, Serge Ibaka, who you thought was going to be a contributor, has been injured. So your mid-level except when you use your mid-level exception, and I learned this in, in New Jersey and Brooklyn, it's like, and you're an over-the-cap team or close to the luxury tax, like, man, you better those guys got to contribute. Mm-hmm. Those guys got to contribute because it's 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 a rotating door. If they don't contribute, then what you're doing is you're recycling minimums, right? You keep on having the minimums come through. If it's if it's the um, the Patrick Pattersons, the, the Marcus Cousins, the Nick Batum's, the Reggie Jacksons, right? Like those guys. Are free agents. So then can you afford to bring them back? If you can't, then you are going out bargain shopping to look for their replacements here. And that's a hard, that's a hard cycle um, to, to go through here. I thought I thought Ty Lue had done a great job because he um, you know he he was not afraid to shake up the roster. And if it meant hurting Patrick Beverly's feelings and putting him on a bench and starting Reggie Jackson and, and putting Nick Batum at center, um, that, you know, it, it changed a little bit of the dynamic. But I think what I'm disappointed with the Clippers is that we saw what they can be in game four. We saw what they can be in that win in Dallas, the de- defensive effort, and then to come back at a, in a game five and lose and Hey, Luca's been the best player on the court. Let's face it, and when he's playing like that, um, it's you know it's a, it's a different yeah, animal he's been, here. He's been the best player in the playoffs. I mean, yeah. I, maybe, you know, he and Kevin Durant probably the best players in in the playoffs, and certainly so much more is asked of 
Luca with with the roster he has around him compared to Kevin could certainly go out and score more if he wanted to. Um, he's got a roster where it's not necessarily asked of him, but uh, it's just the sloppiness of the Clippers in the fourth quarter, the turnovers, um, in that kind of moment, the, the kind of concentration you need to, you know, win a game like that and to see just sort of the, the sloppiness is got to be maddening if you're a Clipper fan um, in those moments. But, but that's, you know, certainly part of what I did them. They did make, they did make a comeback late. They had a chance, obviously had, you know, a Batum right in front of the rim and on, on that pass from Terrence Mann that would have put him ahead very late and, and the ball just rolls off the rim. And so certainly they were, they were right there, but now they've got to go to Dallas and win, win another game there. And, uh, yeah, and it's listen. It's well, you know, you, bro, Walsh, you know what? And I wrote, wrote about it a little bit in the New York piece. Like ro- building a roster is humbling. It is a humbling experience because, like, you can go from two years ago in the off season of getting Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and thinking it looks great on paper, and getting to a point where you're on the brink of elimination two years in a row. And it's it it's a humbling experience. Because let's face it, everybody two years ago thought they did the right thing. And I still believe they did the right thing. But it's just a matter of like getting through a seven-game series. Like playoffs, what it's showing you is how hard it is to win playoff series. Especially in the West. Yeah. Especially in the West. Uh, and yeah, when you say everybody thought they did the right thing, you're talking about all the picks they traded to get Paul George. Um, and then their minds at the time was not only to acquire Paul George in a trade, but to be able to sign Kawhi Leonard in free agency. And they've, they've mortgaged their whole future with the belief that they had a window here where they would be able to keep these two together. They did re-sign Paul George in the offseason. They still need to re-sign Kawhi Leonard. There's no indication that they won't, but you're at the mercy of uh, you know his decision to stay or not to stay. I think, like you said, this is where he wanted to be. He wanted to be in Southern California. He certainly has a franchise that is built around him and allows him great autonomy and freedom to uh, as he wants. So uh, you would imagine he would stay, but if he decides to go, you're you're screwed. I mean, you 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 yeah. you've traded, and, and that's the modern NBA right now. Is that um, again because of the shorter contracts? Uh, you're you know these windows are very short. They're very short, and nothing is built. I mean, come on, how many teams have we looked at in the last several years where you said, well, that's going to go on forever? Golden State is built to win titles into the distant future, and injuries happen, KD leaves. You know, we look at Brooklyn that way right now. Who knows? Who knows how long this can stay together, not be combustible? Uh, You know, the Laker, you know, certainly I think we knew this Laker team that, because of LeBron's age, that, you know, there was a window here in getting Anthony Davis. LeBron's 36. They win a title last year, and now they're they're fighting for their lives here in a game six, down 3-2. Uh, hopeful that Anthony Davis plays in this game six. And, you know, I think a, a, a margin for error on this Laker team that is pretty significant. I mean, you saw without Anthony Davis, they lost by 30. And, um, or without LeBron playing, I mean, they're going to struggle. They need both of those 
players to win in the postseason, and they need both of them playing at a really high level. So even uh, Anthony Davis, who's physically limited in a game six, it worries you because this Phoenix team, when Chris Paul's been on the floor and healthy and able to be some relative facsimile of himself, they've been, they've, they've been great. I mean, they've been great against this Laker team. And, and so, you know, all the young, some of the younger role players that people thought, well, first time in the playoffs, uh, let's see how it goes for them. Mikael Bridges, been terrific. Uh, Devin Booker, obviously not a role player, star player. Uh, you know, these young guys have have shown, you know, their, um, you know, the stage isn't too big for them, even at this early point in their career. So I think uh, for this Laker team, it is fragile right now. And, and this championship window is fragile because you don't know how many cracks you get, you get at it. LeBron's going to be an all-star at least an all-star probably for until he's 40. Now, was he an MVP, all-NBA, first-team guy at 38, 39? We'll see. We, we've never really seen anything like that. Um, but at worst, he's still going to be an all-star, and and that's hard to even fathom um, at that age. But but he's um, – but right now, like, you know, if this one goes by the board with a first-round loss, um, you, you don't really know how many more cracks you get uh, as a group. Um, with the Lakers, with this, with this, you know, AD LeBron uh, partnership. Well, and here's a team that's got eight free agents too. I mean, that's that's the big thing is that you you basically have committed over a hundred million dollars to four players with LeBron, AD, Contavious Cole, Pope, and Kyle Kuzma, and now you have a decision to make on Dennis Schroeder, Alex Caruso, Talon Horton Tucker. Um, all your role players going from Andre Drummond to Markeith Morris, um, that group here. Um, it's not like you can say, you know what, we don't want them. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's not like you can go out and say, you know what, Dennis Schroeder, you scored zero points in game five. You're not good enough anymore. We're going to go out and find a suitable replacement. Doesn't work that way. No, you're gonna you pay, you're gonna pay Dennis Schroeder if you want to keep him. You're probably gonna pay him anywhere from 22 to 24 million dollars a year that's, that's right. how it's going to be and that's- yeah that's what you signed up for here and uh like i said they, they can't replace him um a player of his and so they're gonna have to pay him and there's going to be interest in him in free agency and teams who are looking at point guards whether it's chicago new york pretty pretty good free, pretty good point guard class out there in free agency some interesting players and and some teams with some needs and so um, yeah, the Lakers are going to have to. Uh, that's going to be a tough one for them. They knew it when he when Schroeder turned down the eighty. What was it, Bobby? Eighty four for eighty four. I think. Yeah, yeah, four years for eighty four million that he could do. He could have done during the season. Tells you he knows he can get better and so get more somewhere else. And so Lakers will be able to pay him more in the off season, and and he'll be able to be offered more than that by teams with cap space. And, Listen, I think a couple of teams we've seen go out, Bobby, the Memphis team, which I think just impressed people all season long uh, to be in the Western Conference playoff race and then in the play-in beating the Spurs and then going on the road to beat the Warriors and then going right into Utah, winning a game one on the road, um, you know, taking – and listen, they've been terrific. And you can see just the baseline of a really, really good team moving forward. Zach Lowe did a great piece on that Grizzly team today on ESPN.com and Taylor Jenkins has shown himself to be 
one of the best young coaches in, in the league, certainly. And and I think, you know, they're going to be heard from again. You're going to have Jaron Jackson Jr. back next year with a full summer and an offseason. And, you know, he just played, uh, you know, what he missed, 60 games, I think, yeah. coming off that meniscus injury from the bubble. And so that's going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be a fun team to watch. They represented themselves really well in the postseason. And, and then now, uh, to me, the one series, I, I think if there's anybody who's going to beat Brooklyn in the East, I think it's Milwaukee. I think it's Milwaukee. If, I think they're the team. You know, Drew Holiday has given them such a dynamic. And I think that brooklyn Buck series is going to be an absolute uh, absolute battle. I, I can't wait for that series. Well, and it's, you know, two teams that went out and got two players that they think can get them to a championship in, in Milwaukee with, uh, with Drew holiday. And I don't care if, if, if what they gave up, if he can get you to an NBA finals, it was well worth it. And he has been well worth it. Um, when he's been on, on the court and, um, you know, in Brooklyn, we've seen, um, in that, you know, in that Boston series, a, uh, a monster on the offensive end when the big three and when Kyrie is engaged, how good that team is going to be. And, um, can Milwaukee slow down, slow them down? I think we saw a little bit of a sample in those two games in, um, in May in Milwaukee Mm -hmm. that, um, they can, um, holiday played as good as you, as you can. And the, the Giannis, um, the, the Giannis, um, how they guard him, are they going to allow him to, you know, take jump shots? Are they going to allow him, you know, the goal is not to get him in the paint, which he basically had, did at will in the, in those, those games. And, and then, and then the Middleton factor who's been, you know, one of their better players, one of their better players has been, he, I think Chris is going to be the, I think he's the X factor in this. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Middleton can be the X factor in this. Um, Brooke played Lopez played great in that um, in the Miami series. It'll be interesting if, 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 um, if they keep Brooke down low and just take advantage of his size of a Brooklyn mm-hmm. team that does not have great size instead of having him kind of on the perimeter here. Um, but we are, yeah, I mean, we're, we're basically we have a final four level type game if we're comparing to college mm-hmm. in round two. I mean, it's as good as uh, it's as good as we're going to get. Yeah, this is a, a Bucks team that I mean, John Horst, their GM, and and putting this team together felt like we've got to have some more offensive versatility beyond Giannis and Chris Middleton. We've got to be able to have some shot creators and and we're okay with giving some things up on the defensive end to do that. And that, that we, you know, they, they were a number top rated defensive team in the last couple of years, flamed out a little bit in the postseason, and felt like we've just got to be better offensively. You're going to have to score to beat Brooklyn. I mean, you're going to have to score and, and you've seen the role, you know, Bobby Portis has played coming off the bench and, and Bryn Forbes has been good for them coming over from San Antonio. They, they are going to miss Dante DiVincenzo. Certainly, uh, he was losing him for the season, not, not crippling, but certainly it's hard to lose a starter uh, this time of year. They're, they're not that deep, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great series. A lot on the line for Milwaukee. Uh, you know, I think Mike Budenholzer's future, he needs, he needs a deep run in these playoffs, but I also think too, you're going to look at how you're playing. And if you're in Milwaukee, if you don't win the series, you look at how you competed 
And if and if how you change the way this team plays and with the personnel think, you know what, we're on to something here um, and making a dramatic change to it at head coach doesn't make sense that we can grow from, you know, again, Brooklyn may just be better and like Brooklyn may just be better than everybody. And, and it's not necessarily a reflection on, uh, on the opponent and, and their failures or shortcomings, but uh, certainly there's a lot on the line in this series. I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. And obviously Philly, they got to get Embiid healthy. That meniscus injury is basically going to be pain threshold for him. There's no indication that this is something that they would shut him down with, at least not now or not based on it. Seems the information they have now with it. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they obviously get through the Washington series and now a really dangerous Atlanta team that like, (laughs) I think we all underestimated a little bit going into the playoffs. I think now that you're finally seeing these Hawks all together, uh, how much talent they have. Travis Schlenk, when you look at the job he's done building that roster, you know, across the three areas you get better in, right? Draft, free agency, and trades. He's hit on all of them. And, uh, you know, it's funny. uh, You know, listen, people will go back and look at that Luka Doncic, Trey Young deal, and it's not going to haunt him. Like, it's just, he, he got another pick in the deal with Cam Reddish the following year. We'll see how Cam turns out. But, but you're not going to have to ever apologize for having Trey Young as a star of your team. You, you saw what he did in this series. But I think Travis Schlenk's done just an outstanding job of building that roster, finding the right pieces that complement each other. Clint Capella, you know, that trade, you know, in the previous season before the deadline, he was injured when he came over, didn't really play much. And you saw the impact he's had in this series for them. Uh they're going to be a force, and I, I don't think that's an easy series for Philly. I don't think, especially even with Embiid on the floor, I think this is going to be a really hard series for the Sixers. Uh, this is a team, Atlanta's playing with confidence. They got a lot of, there's a lot of swagger with that group, a lot of belief, and and um, I, I, think, I think they're going to give Philly a war. Between Atlanta and Memphis, um, two of kind of the gold standards have how teams have built uh, their rosters efficiently without going out and trying to hit a home run, right? Through the draft, through free agency, and through trades. And w- what Travis did in Atlanta was he basically punted on free agency two off seasons, the first two off seasons there, where he basically accumulated draft picks, took back bad contracts, made went through, built it through the draft. And then when there was a baseline with the Trey Youngs of the world and the DeAndre Hunters and the Cam Reddish and the John Collins, he took advantage of cap space to go out and, and get Gallinari and Bogdanovic, um, two players that have had an impact here. The Capella trade that made last, um, it feels like it was like five years ago. I remember where we were. I remember where we were when that trade. Yeah, we were, that was we were, the trade, Bobby. Wasn't that, that the was trade that broke the it, record it, for the most – yeah, and then I think the Iguodala trade was kind of like – it wasn't part of that. When Iguodala went from Memphis to Miami, yeah. it was all in that – yeah, it was – It was uh, that 14, Minnesota, yeah, Denver. Minnesota, we Denver, were trying to figure yeah. out who was going where. Yeah, and, and basically what you gave up for Capella was, a, um, a, a, I think, a Brooklyn first that you had gotten, a future first you had mm-hmm. gotten there, and it turned out to be the 17th pick in the draft. And Capella's been – I mean, 
if we were if there was enough spots on the All NBA team, he would make a um, he would be on there. If there was a fifth team, <laughs> let's say he's mm-hmm. been really good. And I think Woj, what we saw in the first round against New York with Trey Young is kind of what we saw in Memphis with John Morant was going from one level to another to go into New York in a game five and close them out. Closeouts are the hardest games um, you can go through. Uh, Teams usually rely on, you know what, we're just going to mail it in and we'll wait to go back home and win a game six. And that was not the case. I mean, um, he has played so well. Um, yes, they'll, he'll always be compared to that draft and with Luca and, and what happened here, but he is making, uh, he's making a name for himself. I mean, he really is as far as, um, you know, a, a franchise level player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen a lot. It's going to be a great weekend, great end of the week and, and weekend of, of playoff basketball with the, with the next second round starting over the weekend and, and coming down the wire here with, uh, Clippers, Mavs and Lakers, Suns, uh, we will, um, I know you and I will be talking. Uh, appreciate you jumping in as always, Bobby, and uh, have a great weekend, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you're looking for world-class soccer, ESPN Plus is where to find it. The best teams, the biggest stars, and over 20 international leagues and tournaments. Serie A, Bundesliga, MLS, FA Cup, Copa del Rey, and more. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, ESPN's front office insider, Bobby Marks. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod. Wherever you get your podcasts, be sure to also listen to the Adam Schefter podcast with Adam Schefter, the Low Post with Zach Lowe, and of course, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.